0: listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hello. So we messed up the recording a little bit today on the live stream, had the audio a little messed up. It was a little, little screwy, a little garbled, a um, little, little too roughly right for our our liking, and our backup audio recording in classic Mission Ridge form. We managed to roughly write that one pretty fiercely, too. Uh, thus, you get to see me or hear me preaching this one for the third time now. I'm really, I'm going to be really good at this sermon by the end of it. Uh, preaching this for the third time uh, so that we got a one that you guys can listen to online or refer back to and not have it be assaulting on your eardrums. Um, Thus, I am not masked. That's the one benefit of this uh, is that Rob is all the way on the other side of the room. And so I can just stand here and talk without my mask on with the headset. So I'm going to savor the little things in this because I'm pretty stoked that we did that. Nonetheless, we are uh, continuing through our series in Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, Change Your World, Talking about what that looks like, looking at these various leaders and this this projects, the projects that they've taken on uh, as they move back into the promised land, looking at the patterns that come out of these stories and digging in and, and pulling out these things that we can apply to our lives here. Uh, so last week we talked about Nehemiah, and he got sent by the king to uh, Jerusalem. He felt he got he got this this report that the walls were all torn down. They were, they're just in a terrible disarray. Um, And he felt very strongly. He felt very convicted that he had to go fix them. He had to go lead this and and do something about it. And so he was sent by the King to go take care of this, handle this, rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And Rob talked about this last week. So you can go listen to that if you want. Um, And we find ourselves after the walls have been completed and now the people this week in chapter eight have all come together, and they're now going to uh, they're going to hear from the word of God, and they're going to be moved by the word of God. <clears throat> so um, this this breaks from the the pattern that we've seen of uh, the previous stories, little mini, miniature stories, whether that be Zerubbabel or Ezra or Nehemiah. They've all kind of followed this pattern of ending with a, a little bit of a letdown. And in today's sermon, uh, luckily, we don't have to end with a little bit of a letdown. This one's kind of a kind of more of an upward, optimistic outlook, maybe. Um, now, we know that the end of the story, spoiler alert, doesn't end so great. But at least today, we get to have a little optimism. So let's dive into the text here. We've got quite a bit to read today. <clears throat> We're going to start in Ezra chapter 8. Uh, verse one, right at the top and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. When it says the book of the law, this is meaning the scroll. This is Torah that they're talking about. So Ezra, the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. That's a lot of reading early morning to midday. When was the last time that you spent half a day digging into your text? When was the last time you went to a half day long church service? Whew. Luckily we're going to be here less time than that. Uh, Anyway, I digress. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattaniah. Yeah, we're not going to read all these names because I'm going to butcher them. So we're just going to skip ahead. He's got people on his right and he's got people on his left that are standing there as he's reading from the law. Okay. These are probably people involved in the priesthood or uh, these are upstanding citizens. They're leaders. <clears throat> Skip down to verse five here. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he opened it, uh, and as he opened it, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Ben, yeah, more names here. We're We're gonna skip through the names so I don't butcher them. But all of these people are, uh, Levites. Okay. it says the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So we've got the Levites dispersed and they're going to help them understand what is being read of the law. Okay. Back here in verse eight, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Verse nine, and Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord, your God, do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. When the people hear the words from God, when they hear the, when they're, they're reading out of the Torah and they are reduced to weeping because they realize that they are not upholding what it is calling them to do. They're not upholding the law. They are breaking their covenant with God and they, they are reduced to weeping. But Nehemiah says to them, uh, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. <laughs> okay. Now the rest of this chapter, the people uh, learned from reading the law that they should be, celebra- they should be celebrating the feast of booths um, or how they should be celebrating the feasts of booths and explains that a little bit. Um, kind of a fun one. And they go about restarting this tradition of, of observing that. Uh, this, is, this is similar to earlier in the story with uh, Zerubbabel, or we saw this with Ezra and Nehemiah too, reestablishing rhythms of worship. This is, a, this is something that we've seen as a pattern of, the, it's an important aspect. And probably a little mini lesson that we could pull from this is, is reestablishing these rhythms of worship is important because that's, that's what they do. drives a lot of their actions. So let's move on to chapter nine, Nehemiah chapter nine here. Now on the 24th day of this month, the seventh month, uh, the people of Israel were assembled with the fasting, uh, with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. What a party. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. Once again, marathon church service here. <clears throat> marathon church service. Now, the rest of chapter nine is actually a chiasm that follows Um, this pattern. So we'll throw this up on the screen here. It follows this pattern of A, B, C, B, A. And in the center, we have this petition for deliverance in verse 32. At the bookends, we have praise and lament. Uh, Praise and lament are two sides of the same coin. And then the B sections here, we have confession, uh, at the beginning, confessing of their ancestors' past sin, and on the backside, confessing of present generation sin. Now, confessing their ancestors' past sin is actually a, a large chunk of this text. It's the majority of this of this chapter, where they review their entire history almost, and they they lay out from Abraham all the way to where they are of where things went wrong and and remembering who God is and how he was faithful through that is an aspect that they see in this. This is part of the confession is remembering who God is. So let's pick it up in, in verse 32 here at the center of the chiasm, at kind of the culmination, this petition for deliverance. It says now, therefore our God, the great, the mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all this that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave gave them. Even in your own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. This is the confession aspect. We saw the the petition there where they, they call out to God and they say, let not all the hardships seem little to you, right? They're calling out and they, remi- they remind, they call out and remind themselves who God is, that he's, he's keeps covenant and steadfast love. This reminds me of Abraham when he's arguing with God about destroying Sodom. He, he reminds God, well, this is not who you are, right? This is similar to that. They're, they're calling out and they're reminding themselves and they're reminding God who he is in a sense. And then, then we get this confession of their sin saying, just straight up saying, we have acted wickedly. No punches pulled. You have dealt faithfully with us, God, but we have acted wickedly. This is a very authentic conversation that they are having as a people group. <clears throat> Verse 36, will continue on. Behold, we are slaves in this day or slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves and its rich yield goes to the Kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we're in great distress. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Closes with this lament that they're still slaves and a closing petition saying what they're going to do, stating what actions they're going to take. The question I have is, when was the last time that you had a conversation with God like this, that looked like this? This is a very authentic conversation. This is a very real conversation. What would what if you tried having a conversation with God like this? That we you, Rob, if you want to throw up that the chiasm there again that you started off by with a little bit of praise, stating who God is, right? And then you moved on from that and you said like this is how you've dealt with me in the past. This is where I've seen you show up, God. This is this is where I have made a mess of things and you've come in and you have Saved me. And then maybe reach that petition for deliverance saying, God, I need you in this right now. That would be an interesting conversation to have with God. I submit that that might be a great way to structure your prayers. In fact, there, it might be very similar to the Lord's prayer. Now that I'm thinking of it, there's some similarities there, but nonetheless, it ends with the the people lamenting that they're still in slavery. And yes, they've taken this, this first step to come back into the promised land, but they're still slaves. They're still, they're still subjects to a King that's over them. They're still ruled over by a foreign land. Thus, they're, asking, they're going to ask God to treat them as in the past and liberate them. And the logical step is that they're going to make some changes if God is going to liberate them. They're going to say, God, if you do this, if you get us out of this, it's almost bargaining with God. If you get us out of this, <laughs> this is the, this is the, oh, shoot prayer. God, I promise if, if you get me through this one, Right. but a little different because they're just saying, we're going to do this. This is the covenant. We're going to hold fast to the covenant that you've already set up for us, God. And we know you're going to be faithful in this. So we moved to chapter 10 and in chapter 10, we're not going to read it, but it's an example of the community wrestling with how to apply the laws to their current time and place. See, they, they set up this covenant to reaffirm the laws, they don't create new laws. There's, there's kind of one that's kind of new. Um, we'll talk about that in a sec. But they, they really just kind of take the old laws and they restructure them and they clarify them for their own time and place and say like, right now with where we're at, we need to focus on this and we need these guidelines. As a people, we are going to do this. This is similar to the concept of binding and loosing that we've talked about before. we'll probably talk about this a little bit in footnotes. Uh, And by a little bit, I mean, probably a lot. We might have to edit footnotes a lot this week because we've got quite a bit to talk about, but uh, it's binding and loosing. It's similar to what we did here at Mission Ridge when when I came over and we were first starting this and we were wrestling with our our doctrines and wrestling with our core values of how are we going to live out who we are here in Missoula as a church? as God's representatives. We had these doctrines that we came over with from our previous church that we were a part of and and we hold these and these laws are good and we, we like these, but there's certain things that we might need to tweak in the, just the wording of them maybe, or we might need to address something that wasn't an issue over in Moscow, but over here in Missoula, it's something that we're running into that we're going to come in contact with and we have to deal with this. And so we need to set down some guidelines, how we're going to deal with that as a body. And so we discussed that and we wrestled with that. How do we apply these laws to our context? That's what we're seeing here. <clears throat> this is, this is a difficult thing for churches to do. This is a difficult thing for communities of people to do sometimes. And this is a great example of this going decently well. And they come up with these laws, they say, we have these laws that talk about this, and we need to take that and use it to give ourselves new culturally current boundaries to live by. So they come up with these seven laws, uh, <clears throat> guidelines, clarifications, however you want to call it. The first one, no marrying of non-Israelites. We've seen this issue arise with Ezra. Uh, this, is a, this is when they marry the non-Israelites, it brings in these foreign influences, the foreign gods. And we saw this, they they look back on their history and they say, when these foreign gods come in, when the Kings of old married foreign women and they brought in their idol worship of Asherah and, and Baal and all of that stuff, it, that was, that was a stumbling block for us. So we need to remove that stumbling block. We need to set it aside. So they say no marrying of non-Israelites. And then they clarify what it means to work on the Sabbath. They clarify the year of release, which happens every seven years where they let the, the fields just kind of lay there and wildly grow, right? We'll talk about most of these in footnotes a little bit more, probably break them down. The annual temple tax for the service of the house of the God, right? The wood offering. This is the one that's kind of new. Uh, and this is, they used to have, I believe it's the Gibeonites, um, would supply the wood to keep the temple fire burning because the temple fire is always supposed to burn. Well, they don't have that same structure now, so they needed to come up with a new structure and we got to find the wood somewhere. And so they created this wood offering that needed to happen in order to keep the temple fire running. This is an example of they, they've got these, these rhythms of worship and they are really digging in. They are digging deep and saying, we are going to value these with this covenant. The offering of first fruits. They talk about that. And the law about the tithes for the Levites. They talk about that. Most of these uh, have some sort of religious worship practice context. They're keeping these practices consistent and they're structured around that. And then a couple of them are to stay away from the foreign gods, obviously like marriage. Okay. These promises are all to keep away from the stuff that led to the nation going off the rails before because they they said, all right, we screwed up and then we got sent into exile and we don't want that to happen again. And so they are focusing, they are buckling down. They got their walls. They got their new guidelines. We're gonna do this thing. And then chapter 11 is a list of people. I joke that it smells like a pattern, uh, we've seen lists of people before through these stories. There's, there's definitely some patterns there, but it's a list of people and where they're dwelling, talking about who's going to come live in Jerusalem. But where I want to go today, where I want us to, to pull out the big overarching thing that I want to leave us with, <clears throat> our blueprint for this week has to do with what they've done this pattern this 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 structure this this overarching narrative that we've seen in these these last couple of chapters of repentance and then moving into progress and a plan that's going to lead to action and what i see in this is the the blueprint for this week is we will come together in community to repent, heal and grow. We at Mission Ridge will come together in community to repent, heal and grow. We say this, we see this play out in the story. They come together as a nation, they come together as one people. They hear from the word of God and they say this is we've we have messed up. We got to do better, guys. And gals, we got, we got to do better. they are reduced to tears. And And then they, they, they review this and they cry out to God and they repent. And then from that repentance, it leads to action. They lay down these guidelines, these structures. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us to repent? Um, Let's talk about repenting. Step one of repenting. Um, and I'm going to actually get it right here in this third sermon. I'm going to nail it. It's going to be so good. I'm probably, I'm probably still going to screw this up a little bit. This was a Rob idea and Rob, I'm going to still make him talk about it on footnotes because he talks about it really good. But the first step is agreeing with God. You have to agree with God about who he is and what he's done, Right? And this, this is also tied in with you need to understand and you need to define clearly what you need to repent for because that's, that's tied with who God is and what he's done because your actions for who I've hurt is important because have I hurt my relationship with God? Have I hurt my relationship with somebody else and God? What have I done? I need to clearly define who I hurt. I need to clearly define how I've hurt them. And that starts with understanding who God is and what he's done. And if that relationship with God isn't established, if you don't have that, then repentance probably isn't actually going to be there. So you got to start there. Next step is we clearly talk about the sin or the transgression or the offense or what, whatever you want to call it. You got to clearly talk about your sin. Repentance requires letting the light shine through on this. Uh, I think of the, the, the kid's song, um, you know, the, this little light of mine. You know, where you hide it under a bushel and you don't want to do that. No, we're going to let it shine, right? Well, it works in reverse too, right? You can't, the, the, the light's pouring in from the outside and we want to take our sin and hide it and squirrel it away. And that's, that doesn't help. It's, it grows and it festers in those environments. It's like mold inside of a wall, maybe. There's a little remez to a previous sermon. <laughs> James has something to say about this in chapter five. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We're supposed to confess to one another. It's not just me confessing to God that needs to happen. I need to cry out to God and say, God, I have screwed up. But in the same way, you need to confess to those around you. That's what brings about healing. And yeah, it's scary. It's terrifying. That's being vulnerable. It's got to happen. This doesn't look like making excuses. This doesn't look like blaming or sugarcoating or anything like that. It looks like digging deep and just laying it out bare. Just like we saw them do as a community. Saying, but we were wicked, God. And just, that's all it was. The authenticity there is great. From there, it can move into planning a new course. Because just repenting without planning on taking any action to stop me from doing the same thing over and over and over again, you're just beating a gong. You're just, you're a hollow drum. I think is how the verse goes, maybe. Planning this new course, it probably better include community because if we're going to confess our sins to another, to one another, we better involve people in our healing also. Not saying that it, you know, couldn't happen on, on your own, I guess, but it's got a much better chance of success. If you involve community in this plan, having accountability is necessary and the repentance needs to be as big as the problem. community can help hold us accountable in that. If it's some, whatever the heck I've done, if it's been years that I have been wallowing in this sin, then it's probably going to be a big act of repentance that needs to get me out. I think a lot of you could probably come up with some examples from celebrities or politicians where you're like, yeah, they screwed up. Oh man and and it rings hollow when it's just some repentant statement and then they just move on and just get back to normal right that rings hollow with us i think we all intrinsically know but when the when when it's flipped around and it's me repenting then that quick that quick statement that's obviously enough that's plenty right no not so much there's this corporate and individual aspect where we need to make, uh, reparations is a loaded word, but that would work there. We need to make amends with people as part of our plan. This is the, this is all part of repentance. And these, these two, these two later aspects, this making a plan and and making amends, maybe this, this moves into our healing territory, which is our second call to action, which is the heal. Part of healing, I think the most important part of healing is probably developing or finding or embracing healthy, safe relationships. Here at Mission Ridge, we talk about care groups until we are blue in the face. That joke would have worked so much better this morning when I had my blue mask on. Darn it. Oh, well, pretend I have a blue mask on. We talk about care groups and life transforming groups so much. It's because they're important. These are safe and healthy relationships. These are environments where you can heal. If you're you're a new believer and, and you're coming into this and you're wrestling with and learning how to walk this out, you desperately need these environments. You desperately need these environments. You need to embrace these, dig into them, find them, seek them out. Walk out on a go out on a limb and join one if it's scary. It will be scary probably. It'll be worth it. And if you're a mature believer, sometimes these groups can feel like, oh yeah, nope. I know like, for example, we talk about the prodigal son in care group. Like this is a classic care group discussion. And there's been so many times where I'm sitting in a care group and we're having this discussion and I'm like, oh, yep. I know this story. Yep. I know these answers got it Unlock. It's not for me. My role as a mature believer in that it's, it's not to serve me. It's for me to serve. There's two sides of these relational environments. Sometimes I am the immature believer and I need people to invest into me in care group. Other times I need to be the one doing the investing. Remember that. The second part of healing that I want to talk about is healing takes time for both parties. Uh, If you think of maybe an abusive situation, you've got the abuser and the abusee. And the person who's been abused is going to take time. They're going to need time to heal. They're going to need support. They're going to need love and encouragement. And it's going to take time to heal those wounds. And on the flip side, the abuser also needs to heal So there's brokenness in them and that needs to heal. And they're going to need encouragement and they're going to need support and they're going to need guidelines from people and they're going to need people to come in and hold them accountable. And it's going to take time for both of these to heal. And so in our relational environments, we need to be cognizant of that. We need to realize that. And we need to understand that things don't just get fixed like that. Because both of these parties, both the abuser or the abused, just to use that example, both of those need relational environments. Both of those need healthy, safe relationships in order to heal. And our last call to action is that we need to grow. If we don't grow, if we don't, if we don't move, if we are not spurred into action from our repentance, then what's the point? I think of the parable of the soil where Jesus is talking about Uh, a farmer who's throwing out seeds and some of it lands in good soil and some in the rocky and sandy and on the, on the road. Um, And some of it takes root and grows well because it's in good soil. Some of it takes root and then it it dies off because it's in bad soil. It's just not that good (laughs) or it's choked out by weeds. You know, you can go review this parable. And a lot of times we want to, we want to make this about like, Oh, I'm the, I'm the sower and it's an evangelistic. It's not that. And the parable, the question that Jesus wants you to answer is what type of soil are you going to be? What type of soil are you going to prepare your heart to be? Am I preparing my heart to become the soil that's going to take what God is giving me, take the wisdom, take the truth, take the seeds that God is planting there and that it's going to grow and flourish, or is it, am I creating myself into rocky soil that it's, it's really not going to take root. It's going to die out. It's going to burn up when things get hard. We need to be growing. We need to be preparing ourselves to be good soil. This is the growth of the individual. Okay. Now there's the other aspect of growth, which is we need to grow together as a community, man. You thought we were done talking about community. Nope, still not. It's back at it again. We need to grow together. I think of Acts 2, the end of Acts 2, where um, they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What were they doing? And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, aka eating together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the best example, like, this is the go to example. Talking about community, right? Together, growing together. There's strength in numbers. We talked about this a little bit. They need accountability. For repentance to stick, we need accountability. We need people supporting us. That means we have to grow together. We have to embrace relationships. We got to bring people into these We got to seek them out, not just create spaces, not just create relational environments. We need to bring people into those relational environments that need them. We need to go and seek out those relational environments when we need them. When I don't have them, I need to go seek them out. I don't wait for them to come to me. We need to grow together. If you want to see this body of believers at Mission Ridge or wherever you're at, grow. If you want to see your church body grow, if you want to see change occur in your city, if you want to see added to the number daily, and you'll walk this out in your life, these are the steps we need to take We need to come together in community to repent, to heal, and grow. If we do that, God's going to do some big things. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, We would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.